I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we will continue tonight our sermon series in the book of Acts. And as is our custom, um, we will be reading an Old Testament text that will be paired with our sermon text. And uh, Laura will be reading our Old Testament reading. I'll be reading our sermon text. But just as a quick FYI, um, we're just going to begin to have more folks participate in the public reading of Scripture around grace. So in addition to our call to worship, there'll be different readers who will read from the Old Testament, the sermon text. It's just a thing in the next few months. We'll just amplify the public reading of Scripture um, just in the life of our body. And I just want to remind you that whenever we read the Scriptures, um, that is not uh, just sort of introductory. It's actually a critical part of the sermon itself. So just want to encourage you to listen carefully and closely um, to this God's word. This is Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And now tonight's sermon text from Acts chapter 2. Um, I'll begin reading action verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I, am, I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I'm, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, 
what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, Lord, we ask that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would illuminate these words that are in your word. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate the words that I've prepared. Lord, and that you would use these words to great effect, Lord, in our heart and in our lives and in the life of our church, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So some of you guys have heard me say before that in another life, um, I would have wanted to be a high school English teacher. Now, I want to be careful when I say this so boldly because there are people in this room that I think are professors of English. (laughs) So I'm going to be careful here. But I had a high school English teacher who was deeply transformative in my life. Um, she taught me how to think. Um, she taught me about words and, the, and words' power. She taught me about the beauty of stories and how stories can be told artfully in such a way that they stir someone's heart and even might change their life. And I remember one day, my senior year of high school, I remember sitting in her class and she talked to us that day about the concept of an embedded narrative. So let me explain. So an embedded narrative, it's kind of a storytelling technique. It's a tool in literature where a story is being told and at some point in that story, there's another story being told as part of the bigger story. So for example, Um, I recently read a novel, and in that novel, there's a character who's at the same time writing a novel in the novel that I'm reading. Does that make sense? I heard a laugh from the side room. That's John Colburn over there, so. Shakespeare's famous for this. Several of his plays, during the play that he's written, there's a play that's being put on in the play that he's writing. And if novels and plays by Shakespeare don't work for you, the movies sing too. It's a film that's being made about a production, a play that's being done within the film, an embedded narrative. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because tonight I am going to be preaching a sermon about a sermon. So tonight's sermon that I'm going to preach is about Peter's sermon that he preaches. So it's a sermon about a sermon. Does this seem fun to anybody besides me? You guys are kind to laugh. 
makes me feel not as alone. So tonight's a sermon on sermon. Now, as we walk our way through the book of Acts, um, we're going to continue to circle back to something I'm calling like the Acts question. Every sermon in this series in Acts is going to be about a central question. And let me just explain to you this Acts question briefly. Here's the question we're going to be pursuing throughout our weeks in the book of Acts. Here it is. What means does the Spirit use to the end that the gospel is proclaimed to all the world? See, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be witnesses, and this witnessing work you're going to do is going to spill from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And then, as we saw last week, the Spirit empowers these disciples to do this witnessing. And in our text for tonight, we see the Apostle Peter then begin to bear witness. So our question we're going to pursue both tonight and the weeks that are to come, what means does the Spirit use to the end the gospel will go forth into all the world? How does the Spirit work? The Holy Spirit, how does the Spirit work to the end that the gospel is proclaimed throughout all the world? And the answer to that question for tonight, and this is the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is what you have to hear. The Spirit uses preaching about Jesus to rescue and to restore. Preaching is not the only means that God uses, but it's very clear in the book of Acts that preaching is a means that God uses. Preaching, preaching about Jesus is a means that the Spirit uses to redeem and to restore. So what we're going to do tonight is to look at some features of this sermon. We're going to look at some features of this sermon. The introduction to the sermon, John covered last week, actually. Um, The Spirit is poured out, and Peter begins to tell them that the thing you're seeing right here, right now, is really about something promised from the book of Joel. That's kind of introduction. And tonight, we pick up with the main body of Peter's sermon. We're going to look at some features of this sermon. There's going to be three features. Here's feature number one. Look with me at verses 22 and 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Feature number one, the kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and restore. Feature number one, it is a sermon about Jesus. You know, you'd be surprised, but if you get a microphone and you've done some thinking and learning and people are kind to listen to you talk, you can talk about all kinds of things. For example, I have opinions about the world. I've got things I could talk to you about. 
But the kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and restore is a sermon squarely focused on Jesus, specifically what he did, what he's done, what he is doing. So take a look with me again, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs. This sermon is about the life of Jesus. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. It's a sermon about the death of Jesus, the cross of Christ. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The resurrection of Jesus. Verse 32 and 33, this Jesus God raised up of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is about the ascension of Jesus and his rule and his reign. The kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and redeem is a sermon that's squarely focused on the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you're listening to preaching, your ear should be tuned to what exactly has Jesus Christ done? What exactly has, is Jesus Christ doing? What exactly is has Jesus Christ promised to do one day? The kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and restore and redeem is a sermon about Jesus. Feature number two. Look with me at verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me that he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Feature number two, the kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and restore. Feature number two is a sermon that is aware of the whole of the scriptures. Those verses I just read to you are from the Psalms. We have Psalm 16 quoted. We have Psalm 110 quoted. There's even a hint, a subtle hint, if you're listening closely to a psalm like Psalm 88 or Psalm 89. And what Peter is doing in this sermon, he's making the claim that Jesus is the Christ. This Jesus, this man who did these things, who was crucified on a cross, God raised, and now he's the Lord of all. How do you know, Peter? Well, the whole Bible promised us that it would happen like this. What Peter is trying to communicate is that when David is penning these poems in the Psalms, he's writing even more than he knew. 
If you notice, Peter makes this move in verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, when David is talking about the fact that he won't be abandoned to death, Peter's saying, but by the way, David died. His tomb is here. It's in this very city. He had to have been talking about more than he even knew. What what Peter's trying to get at in this sermon What Peter's trying to get at in this sermon is that God reveals himself. He communicates himself super, super clearly. See, God is so kind that he makes promises from the beginning of time and he promises to see those promises through to fulfillment. In the whole of the scriptures, is Peter's technique to make this point. In other words, when you listen to a sermon, not only are you listening for something very clear about what Jesus did, is doing, or promises to do, you're listening for the clear ways that God has revealed this throughout all of the Bible. Like, I know, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but when you're listening to a sermon, you're, you're not necessarily supposed to listen to a sermon and think to yourself, I, I have no idea how the preacher came up with that. I have no earthly idea. Preaching's not supposed to be novel. It's supposed to be simple and clear, showing you from the whole of the scriptures how this thing about Jesus was either promised or fulfilled. How about a third feature. Look with me at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. And look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? A third feature, the kind of sermon that the Spirit uses to rescue and to restore is a sermon that calls for a response. Notice that when the hearers hear Peter's preaching, they immediately interpret the sermon to be about them. Notice that when they hear Peter preaching, they're not sitting there thinking, well, that's kind of nice information. I'm glad I learned about that today. But instead, their hearts were stirred and they said, oh my gosh, what are we now to do? Preaching's not informing although you do some informing when you preach, but instead preaching is about calling for a very, very particular response to very particular people. Just a quick side note, if I were preaching this sermon at a different church, I would preach it differently. But because I'm here and I know you, I'm trying to talk to you. It's interesting Look again at verse 29. 
Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He's pressing and saying, he's saying that that this text about being abandoned to the grave was about Jesus. And then as they sit here and they listen to this sermon, notice that when it comes to verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, verse 37. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter realizes that he's preaching to people who were there in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So in his sermon, he's saying, by the way, it was, this was Jesus that you crucified, He's talking directly to them. He says that in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. In other words, Peter wants to make sure that they understand that the Jesus that they crucified now rules as Lord of the world. Is that a warning? And the answer is, it's a warning. I know the story of this person that I'm acquainted with, so I don't want to say it's a friend. I don't know the person that well. But this person that I'm acquainted with told me a story one time of, um, of his daughter in the first grade. And when his daughter was in the first grade, there was another boy in the class Okay, I'm going to use the boy's real name, and you'll see why. The boy's name was Buck. <laughs> and Buck was pestering, bullying Allie, my acquaintance's daughter. And she was coming home from school every day in tears because Buck was bullying her. And there was a school event when my acquaintance introduced himself to Buck and said, Buck, I'm Allie's dad. See, that was a warning. And Peter's doing something similar. The Jesus that you crucified rules the world, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that's why they're cut to the heart. Oh my gosh, what should we do? Notice it's not just a warning. It's also an invitation. Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. For this promise is for you, it's for your children, it's for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for them to come alive. It's an invitation for them to be forgiven. It's an invitation for them to be freed from the guilt that they're feeling in that moment. It's an invitation for their shame to be lifted. It's an invitation for them to take hold of the promises of God. Whenever you listen to a sermon, your ear should be tuned for the ways in which in this sermon you feel convicted, but you also, but you also, but you also feel comforted. 
Your ears should be tuned by the ways that this text comes across like a, like a warning for you to recognize the lordship of Jesus, but at the same time, it's a sweet summons to come alive, to be at peace with God, to be forgiven. So the kind of sermon that the Spirit uses is a sermon that calls for a response. So a sermon about Jesus that's aware of the whole of the Bible and that calls for a response. And look with me at verse 41 at the response. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's a dramatic response. And this is a good time to tell you that dramatic responses are extraordinary. But the promise that when Jesus is proclaimed from the scriptures, the Spirit promises to travel alongside that proclamation, and there is always, always some sort of response. The call is to take hold of this Jesus and his promises. Now, as I prepared this sermon about a sermon, I imagined this moment. And I imagined you looking at me and thinking, okay, a sermon about a sermon, it has these features, so what? And I was taking a walk with Mandy and I was telling her what I was gonna preach and when I got to this point, she looked at me kinda like, so what? (laughs) So right now is the so what. I want to give you just kind of three words of application to speak to your hearts, you, you people at Grace Fellowship, souls for whom I am responsible to tend and care for. Here's three things I want you to hear. First thing, expect this. Let me explain what I mean. When you come in here on a Sunday whether it's on 4.30 or whether we have to switch times or whether we meet whenever we meet on a Sunday. When you come to gather with the saints at Grace Fellowship, I want you to expect this from preaching. I want you to expect that when you walk in here, you know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get someone right here who's gonna tell you about Jesus from the Bible and ask for you to take hold of those promises. It's always gonna happen. I want you to expect when you walk in here, someone's gonna tell you about Jesus from the Bible call you to respond, and that will both convict you and comfort you simultaneously. If it only convicts you and gives you no path for comfort, something went wrong. If it only, comf- if it only comforts you, but you don't feel this sense of conviction, something went wrong. I hope you know that when you walk in here, you should not expect the greatest, most gifted, most talented, most skilled preaching in the world. I I really hope you know that. Y'all, I'm keenly aware that on your iPhone right now are sermons better than I can preach. 
There are people in this room right now who are better preachers than me. But what I can promise you, when you walk in here, you can expect some person, often it will be me, trying to tell you about Jesus, what he's done from you, from the Bible, and ask you to take hold of those promises. That's what I'm trying to do. When guests preach, I always say to them, here's all you have to do. Tell my folks very directly about Jesus from the Bible and tell them to take hold of those promises. That's the instructions I give. Here's a second thing by way of application for your soul. If the first one is to expect this from preaching, here's the second one. I would be remiss tonight after reading Peter's proclamation to not tell you that the things Peter tells to them are true for you. So for example, Peter tells them that Jesus was crucified for the forgiveness of your sin. There are people who may have walked in here tonight and your sinfulness, your stubbornness, your weakness, your inadequacies have weighed you down. You feel guilty. You might even feel ashamed of yourself. And what I'm telling you tonight is that Jesus Christ was crucified so that you can be forgiven and so that your shame can be born and taken off of your back. Peter tells his audience here that Jesus is alive. There may be people who walk into here tonight and you're just kind of feeling dead. There's parts of your life that feel dead. I don't know anything else to tell you other than to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. And you can find life in his name. Peter tells his congregation, he tells his audience that Christ is exalted as Lord of all. And that because of that, our hope is unshakable. There may be people in this room tonight that you just feel sort of unsteady. What I want you to know is that Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in him, you can have an unshakable hope tonight. The things that Peter says to them are for you. I don't know about you, but lately I've been painfully, painfully aware of how bad I need Jesus but I've been comforted by knowing how available and true and faithful he always is. So take that tonight. Third thing for your soul, if the first one was to expect this, if the second one is what Peter says to them is true for you, the third thing I wanna tell you tonight before we celebrate at this table, here's the third thing. This is the last thing I'm gonna tell you, okay? If the first thing is expect this, if the second thing is this is for you, the third thing is, and just listen to me, you can do this. And here's what I mean. Notice that Peter very simply tells them what Jesus did from the Bible. You can do that. There are people in your life who don't know Christ. There are people in your life that might know Christ, but they really need Christ. And the Spirit uses people who will say to them very directly what Jesus has done from the Bible, and that is what God uses to rescue and restore, and you can do it. 
Yo, I was, I was at a pastor's conference a couple years ago, and this conference was in New England. I was at this conference in Boston, Massachusetts. It's a very unchurched area of the country. There were 50 pastors there. 48 of them were from New England. Two of them were from the South. There was me from Alabama, and there was a person from Texas. And all 48 of those people I met, listen to this, all 48 of them, no exception, all 48, came to faith in Jesus in adulthood. And the way they came to faith in Jesus, you won't believe me when I tell you. Someone very directly told them what Jesus has done from the Bible (laughs) and told them, take hold of those promises whether it was in a sermon, in a church service, I met a few like that, whether it was over scrambled eggs at a diner. You can do this. In other words, every single one of you tonight is a spirit-empowered preacher of the gospel, or you can be. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your spirit would stir our hearts. Lord, we'd be comforted that you are a God mysterious, but you're so kind to use ordinary means to do your work. Lord, I thank you that you use what the Apostle Paul would call the foolishness of preaching to rescue and redeem. Lord, I'm thankful that you have rescued and redeemed sinners like us here tonight. Lord, I'm thankful that you have equipped and empowered witnesses like us in this room to be preachers of the good news of Jesus. So we ask, Lord, by the power of your spirit, that you would use all of these things to do what you would will to do in our hearts and in our lives tonight, we pray. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.